thoughts from like where like why why now why did these thoughts come and what should i do with them are they helpful can they guide me salutations welcome to spiritual blitherings philosophical ponderings and everything ramblings at the hopeful humanist cafe this is a just some guy production and i'm that guy your host steve the hopeful humanist today we're going to talk about ideas and flow the good life and resources for our toolbox specifically i want to know where do thoughts come from but before we get there, I'd just like to start off with a self-care tip. Self-care tip 3.14. You can't do everything. It's that simple. Now, I fittingly, I think, numbered this self-care tip 3.14 because at times it seems like we have an infinite number of things to do. We have so many things on our plate and we're trying to get those things off of our plate. And once we get one thing off our plate, we find that we've got two, three, or four new things on our plate and things just keep piling high. And it's overwhelming. Now, interestingly, while it's a truism and we know that we can't do everything, at times we really try, don't we? Try to get everything done. And I think it's because we get drawn in and fixated on all these things that we have to do. And we lose sight of taking a balanced approach. I think part of it is that maybe we're struggling to radically accept that that's something that's true for us, that applies to us. We know it applies to other people, but we think if maybe we're creative enough, we prioritize, we set time aside, we plan, maybe we can get everything that's on our plate off our plate and we'll be able to finally arrive at a place of peace. We have to wake up in the morning and say to ourselves, I have a lot to do today. And my invitation is to reframe that. And perhaps in terms of our self-talk, it could look a little bit like this. Today, I'll do what I can. You know, I just invite you to notice what that feels like. Instead of that daily struggle of trying to wrestle with all those things on your plate and attempting to get all those check marks. I'll do what I can. Today, I'll do what I can. So I've been hoping and wanting to do a podcast for about a week now. And life keeps on happening. And I had to kind of come to terms with, accept the reality that I can't do everything. And I'm going to wait for and look for and plan for a presenting moment where there's going to be a window of opportunity and I can find some time and maybe think about and talk about and share ideas about where do thoughts come from. And I've got a wonderful poem, I think, that really captures the experience that we have when we're noticing these ideas arising within us. And I found myself in this moment now with the opportunity to do that, to share some thoughts on the Hopeful Humanist Cafe. I'm at a church in my Black Grand Caravan. 
as my son is enjoying some uh, piano lessons at this moment. And I thought, this is my window of opportunity. So sometimes it takes patience. But it, it is an interesting thing. You know, what, what would it look like if we genuinely, radically accepted the fact that we can't do everything? That truism that we sometimes, nonetheless, struggle with. So welcome to this moment. I'm enjoying some chamomile tea. And it's, it's actually a really serene moment. It's snowing outside. This is southern Ontario, and it's not common for uh, this kind of weather condition to be presenting itself mid-April, but there's something relaxing about it, and I'm really enjoying it. So today, I'm reading a book from Russ Harris. And, you know, if there was another uh, self-care tip, you know, to share in the moment, it would be simply read. We can learn so much. It's, it's fulfilling. It's expanding. But I'm reading this book right now by Russ Harris about six core principles that can help us uh, move in the direction of having the life that we want for ourselves. And it's called The Happiness Trap. And in this book and in uh, Buddhist thinking as well, there is a discussion about you know, where do thoughts come from? You know, you might find yourself sitting without anything to do on your couch at home. It's quiet. And all of a sudden we notice thoughts arise. You know, where, where do they come from? There's this thing called the default mode network. And it's when we aren't occupied. Uh, they say that uh, the, the, the mind, it, st it starts to ruminate and it gets caught up in this thing called autobiographical thinking where we tend to think about the past, ruminate about the past, and, and worry about the future. And without effort, we find that there are these moments when thoughts arise. And sometimes in terms of daydreaming, this could be a wonderful thing. This could, you know, we could be brainstorming and thinking of new creative ideas uh, to solve challenges, uh, to feed the need to create uh, that creative urge that we have. But sometimes uh, these, these thoughts are overwhelming. They're intrusive. They're painful. They could be destructive. And so where, where do these thoughts come from? And... I've noticed, and uh, the research indicates, that when we find ourselves in these quiet moments, we have these experiences of, of thoughts arising. And where specifically they come from, it, it really is a mystery. And I came across uh, this book, and really today I'm, I'm doing nothing more uh, than posing the question, uh, where do thoughts come from? What are your thoughts about? You know, where do these thoughts that you have in this moment, where do they come from? And I think that there's this poem that I recently came across by Emily Dickinson that really captures this experience that we have when thoughts arise. It's, it's a beautifully poetic rendering of a thought arising moment. And for me, it was a joyous occasion. It was about two weeks ago, and I was at a thrift store. This specific store was called Talese. And I went to the book section and I was looking through the various books that were available, thinking to myself, a treasure is definitely waiting for me. There is a treasure in here. And that's the wonderful thing about going to thrift shops. You, you can find 
things that you wouldn't expect because it's just a collection of these odd different items that have been thrown together because people are saying, you know, they, these things still have value. And right now I don't, I don't have a need for them, but they could be of particular interest and importance and help for, for others. And so I went in there and I was looking through the different books and I came across this one called The Poetry of Emily Dickinson. And I, and I have to say, I don't know much about Emily Dickinson. I think uh, what I do know, and uh, you'll have to fact check this, but I believe that uh, her poems were not published until after her passing. And there's a lot of uh, different beautiful thoughts. I think uh, the art of poetry is um, slowly becoming a lost art. And there's something very beautiful about uh, these, these potent prose sharings that uh, are just pregnant with so much passion and energy. And, and I, I really think um, we need to tap back into the world of poetry because there's a lot that can be offered. Uh, it, it just kind of captures so brilliantly and so concisely uh, the human lived experience. And so I came across this poem. I, I, I found the book and I was like, for whatever reason, I decided I needed to find my favorite poem out of all these poems from the poetry of Emily Dickinson. And they're not titled. Uh, they're titled according to the first line. And I think that this first line really does capture what it's like to be in a moment when we find all of a sudden an unexpected guest entering into our mind's eye. A thought went up my mind today that I've had before, but did not finish some way back. I could not fix the year, nor where it went, nor why it came the second time to me, nor definitely what it was, have I the art to say. But somewhere in my soul I know I've met the thing before. It just reminded me twas all, and came my way no more. I'm just going to sit in that and just kind of take a moment to notice. And I'm going to read it just once more and let it stand as a poetic capturing of that magical moment when we find thoughts arising. And when we do have those moments when thoughts arise, we're invited, I think, to be mindful about inviting our observing self so we can ask ourselves if that thought is a helpful thought and that we should embrace it and give attention to it or if it's something that we should thank and then let go. A thought went up my mind today that I've had before but did not finish some way back. I could not fix the year, nor where it went, nor why it came the second time to me, nor definitely what it was, have I the art to say. But somewhere in my soul I know I've met the thing before. It just reminded me twas all, and came my way no more. It's beautiful. 
what a beautiful poem. And having immersed myself within the poem for a second time, I find myself imagining sharing space with Emily, listening to her share with me what the poem meant to her, and then having an opportunity for me to share with her what the poem means for me. Because poems are these different kind of experiences of art. While the thing is what it is, they resonate with us and strike a chord with the, within us in different ways. And so it seems to mean so many different things to so many different people while still being the thing that it is. I imagine myself as we're taking turns talking about this experience, I imagine myself, first of all, saying, I, I definitely, I can relate to this. And I'm, I'd also share that, you know, Emily, I really appreciate your poem because it's helped me realize that this doesn't have to be a terrifying experience because from one level it is. From one angle, this idea that thoughts just arise could leave us feeling powerless. A sense of no control that these, these thoughts will pop into our head and, you know, what will we do with them and why are they there and what will they make us do? Uh, it could be frightening in that sense, but we don't get that sense with Emily's poem. It seems like these thoughts definitely don't have the flavor or tone of being intrusive thoughts. We don't sense that uh, there's an intruder in the house. They don't seem to be overwhelming. If anything, it seems like the thought is a welcome visitor. Hello. Salutations, come on in. It seems like a, a pleasant surprise. The poem has a reminiscent quality. It, it's as if uh, two friends are sharing company, and as they're sharing company, it's been a long time since they've seen one another, and then they're reminded of something, that something arises, and then they're taken aback, and then the thought leaves, and that's okay, because the past is the past, and the present is the present. So it doesn't seem like it's a, a central thought, that she's experiencing. It definitely is a, a thought that has this momentary novel sense to it. It's a reminder, and then it seems to leave just as quickly as it came. And she's not sure you know, where it went and how it returned. But it, she's making, she's sharing, I should say, an idea about what it means to be human. That we have this part of ourselves that thinks and another part of ourselves that observes. So in terms of the mind, you know, the thinking mind and the observing mind. And that part of me that's curious about asking some of those specific questions, like, Emily, like, what was the thought? You know, that, that's that thinking mind. That's, it's fascinating and curious with the details, with the specifics. But she never gets around to really talking about what the thing was that she was thinking, what the thought specifically was. She's giving more center stage to the observing mind, where there is a stepping back and a witnessing of the thinking mind and a noticing and saying, oh, look, um, thoughts are arising. Oh, look, there they are. 
oh, look, here they've come and now they've gone. And this is a part of the human lived experience. This is what it means to be human. And that sense of powerlessness, uh, we have this opportunity because of Emily to be empowered because she's identifying that if we can connect with and become aware of our thinking mind by stepping back with our observing mind, we can recognize though, even though we're powerless over thoughts that they just arise and that we don't necessarily play a part in it, that what we can do is we can start to decide make decisions about what we will attend to. And we can kind of nourish thoughts. We can water thoughts. We can give some thoughts sunlight so they'll grow and blossom. And then there are other thoughts, if they're not helpful, we can turn the spotlight in a different direction. And that's encouraging to know. I sense that Emily, when she was thinking these things, when she had this presentation, this visit, this arrival of this thought. I imagine that she was outside going for a walk. If there was a modern day version of Emily, I do not imagine that she was walking down the street in an urban area, which I mean, uh, it, it definitely could be an urban area, but uh, I don't imagine that. And I don't imagine that she had some earbuds in and that she was listening to some music. I feel that there's a difference here. And in the one, we have this idea of ideas that are being put into us, you know, versus ideas that arise from within. And they're, they're different. And I think for a person to truly know oneself, we want to find that place of solitude. So that when we have monkey mind and those stirrings and the thinking mind does what it does and there's these thoughts arising because of the default mode network realities, we create the opportunity for ourselves in this place, metaphorically, to stand in front of the mirror of our being. What we are witnessing is deeper than the more immediate but powerful outputs of influencing mediums like Facebook, YouTube, or Netflix that are putting things into us in a sense. In quiet solitude, we create a clearing for the stories we tell ourselves, some of which are unhelpful and some of which we seem to be stuck in. In this clearing, however, if we breathe, we can tend to our existential gardens in a deliberate fashion by directing our mind's eye, our attention to that which is most meaningful, most precious. Reading this poem by Emily has been a real pleasure. It's allowed me to realize through the medium and experience of poetry and, and to be okay with the truth that thoughts arise through no deliberate effort of our own. Yet we can befriend these thoughts with the looking, observing mind. It's also given me an opportunity to bring a little more poetry into my life. Thank you for joining me for this meeting of the minds. My ultimate hope is that uh, you've been inspired 
to bring a little bit more poetry into your own life. Perhaps uh, you might find yourself wanting to head down to your local library to pick up a book with a collection of poems. Or maybe you're feeling an outpouring coming on and have this desire to put pen to paper. With that, I wish you well and look forward to our next chat. Peace, take care, be well, and share. And now, some unexpected bonus material. We're going to end with a couple of readings of two different poems from Emily Dickinson by Danielson. So take it away, Danielson. Two poems by Emily Dickinson. Number one. I had no time to hate because the grave would hinder me and life was not so long that I could finish enmity. Nor had I time to love but since some industry must be the little toil of love I thought was large enough for me. Number two. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And sweetest in the gale is heard and sore must be the storm that could abash the little bird that kept so many warm. I've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea Yet never in extremity it asked a crumb of me.